Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. This morning, our speaker is Reverend Mark Gallagher. He has served for 21 years as pastor of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Vancouver, Washington. Having previously served several other West Coast congregations briefly, he still lives in Vancouver and has a private practice ministry of preaching, teaching, and leading workshops. Um, he has spoken here several times over the years and is married to Jennifer Gallagher, who I believe is with us this morning. So we'd like to say welcome. Good morning. So good to be here with you again. Religious practice takes many forms in our world, obviously, and it's taken a great many more forms over the ages, from chanting in caves, to the ritual of the Catholic high mass, to the complete stillness and inward contemplation of a Buddhist meditation retreat, to animal sacrifice by a tribal high priest, to a carefully thought out and persuasive sermon. <laughs> But I would venture to say that across all that variety, the religious enterprise exists primarily and essentially to address the seemingly universal sense of disquiet about being limited, about that we are limited. We feel that we are limited in time. In other words, that we are mortal. Yes? We, uh, we will not go on existing forever, we know. We're going to die. And there's a part of us which rails against that limitation and fears it. Limited in time. Then, too, we experience that we are limited in space, very limited indeed. We're aware of ourselves being in here, and everything else being out there. And it's obvious that there's a lot more that's not me than is me. Somewhere in our hearts we feel isolated and small and vulnerable to annihilation. Some, and so we feel very limited. We may try to compensate and make ourselves large, larger, to live longer, to gain more power and so forth and feel that our lives are bigger rather than smaller. But in that we can find only temporary relief at most. The most powerful person in the world still confronts limits every day and every hour. We can push back the limits, but there's a part of us that knows that we are just tinkering on the margins. We see ourselves as finite, and yet we yearn for infinity. 
to be more than just this small self for the brief span of our lives. It's a deep religious and spiritual need to experience infinity. So some religions speak of eternal life or returning to God. Some say we're God's children. They present us with stories and rituals by which we can experience ourselves in an intimate relationship with what was before us, what will be after us, and which includes us and other people and the animals and plants and the entire world, all of existence, both the seen and the unseen. An intimate relationship with that. Religions try to invite that. The world's religions and spiritual traditions tell us that on some level, the smallness and separateness we experience is not all there is to the story. That in some way, we are involved in a transcendent reality. <clears throat> and there are many, many ways of saying that. And yet we're so, <clears throat> we're so deeply conditioned to finiteness that when we try to conceive infinity, we may only be able to think of mm, a lot more. <clears throat> Our conceptions of God tend to be that way. God is imagined, well, like a human, but wiser, more powerful, more ancient, and undying. So we take ourselves and add incrementally to the margins. We create not really a sense of the infinite, but a sense of myself, but bigger. <clears throat> and of course, many of us find that these stories and doctrines are not only inadequate as windows to the transcendent, but are also sometimes a grotesque idolatry. Taking aspects of ourselves, sometimes the most confused and immature aspects of ourselves, crafting them into an image and then worshiping that. The opposite of touching infinity, really. Infinity can never be grasped intellectually. It's in the nature of our words and ideas to refer to distinct and separate things. <clears throat> words cannot, and in a straightforward way, speak of infinity. But a finger can point to the moon and thereby lead to a perception of it. If your eyes follow the finger and look to the moon, you can see it. And I wonder that if by contemplating realities that are so far beyond our ordinary frames of reference as to be truly inconceivable, we can induce the mind to kind of go tilt or to boggle. So that for a moment at least, we can give up trying to shoehorn reality into our little conceptual frames and fall into a proper gape-jawed sense of awe, what I call experiential infinity. Now, while we have knowledge that the universe is very large, we tend to limit our attention to a world that is manageably small. Limited to this planet Earth, certainly, and within that, most of us overwhelmingly 
attend to just a small set of places and people and ideas. But when we stand for a while facing the ocean, or when we look out from a hilltop <clears throat> with an unobstructed view, our focus then shifts from the nearby objects that we're usually busy managing, right? <clears throat> the things in our world, the things that we can touch and see that are close at hand, they're all things to sort of, in a way, manage. Either physically manage them or like conceptually manage them. Our frame of reference at those kinds of times shifts to the far horizon. The far horizon. It's a shift in perspective that brings us into a state that is at once humbled and exalted. And when we stand under a clear night sky, gazing outward into the fathomless depth, we may feel a deep stirring and a similar shift in perspective. <clears throat> Perhaps a deep remembering like, oh yeah, we're on a planet in space. And this planet is so much more than just the human social order that I'm so obsessed with. And so much more than my personal dramas that I'm busy managing. And this whole planet is itself part of a much, much larger realm. So such a contemplative experience may not change what we do in practical matters, how we go through managing the situations of our lives. But perhaps it does affect how we regard our lives. Perhaps by glimpsing the transcendent, we can feel less limited and more whole in our spirits. And so I invite you to come with me this morning on a journey of imagination. <clears throat> Let's ponder a simplified scale model of the universe, starting with our solar system. First thing we have to do is dispel the distorted impression that we may have from depictions of the solar system that we may have seen, like a page in an atlas where it shows, you know, the solar system. Here's the sun and there's the planets lined up. But to show the solar system at scale, we would have to have a picture of the sun on the one page, then thousands of blank pages and then a planet that's just the size of a period at the end of the sentence. And then a bunch more blank pages. Publishers, publishers aren't interested in doing that. <laughs> and people aren't interested in reading that either. So you don't see books like that. You see them with it all thrown into one page. It's understandable that it's done that way, but it gives us a wildly distorted picture of of what the reality is. And the reality is so much more awesome. So let's check it out.
Let's say this green ball is the sun. Okay, we're going to build a model, and this is going to be the sun. So, will somebody hold this for me, please? <coughs> there's, there's the sun. And now the earth. In this model, the earth is this little quarter-inch bead that I'm holding up on a stick. There's the earth. Where should we put the earth? On this scale, our little earth bead is orbiting the sun 215 feet away. That would be out across the parking lot almost to Daniel Street. Picture that in your mind's eye. Sun, earth out by McDaniel Street. Okay. <laughs> yep. Now, it's hard to think of the earth as just a tiny little bead. That's pretty, maybe a little challenging uh, visualization. So let's try it another way and get the earth onto a scale where we can at least see it. So let's say the Earth is this ball. Still pretty small, but okay, you can at least see the darn thing. Now remember that view from the hilltop where you're looking out to the far horizon? The area that you would be seeing to the far horizon in all directions would be a barely perceptible dot on the Earth at this size about like a grain of sand. I mean, perceptible to me looking at it like this. You couldn't see it from back there. Right? That's how small to the distant horizon would be on this Earth. It's the scale of our Earth. On this scale, the sun would be about the size of this sanctuary. Right? So now the sun, the sanctuary made into a ball is the sun. This is the Earth. And this Earth will now be circling at a distance of one mile, about into McMinnville, about 3rd Street, where the hotels and restaurants are, right? So I'm here. The Earth is way down in downtown McMinnville. Picture it. Picture that. At this scale, the jumbo planet of Jupiter would be about five feet in diameter, about like this, and it would be out at Dayton or Carleton. Driving in your car several miles. Then you have a five-foot planet, Jupiter. Neptune, which is now the outermost planet of the solar system, would be Excuse me. <coughs> mixed up my, my props a little bit. Would be this ball, bigger than the Earth. And where would Neptune be? Portland. Portland. <laughs> You've driven to Portland, right? Here's Neptune, way out there. That's our solar system. Take a moment to picture that. The sun, this room, the earth, a mile away, 
Neptune in Portland. Now let's make a galaxy. We'll take that whole solar system as we just constructed it, Neptune out in Portland. We're going to take all that and squish it down so that the whole galaxy, or I'm sorry, the whole solar system is this yellow ball. Okay, all that from Portland into this little yellow ball. On this scale, the nearest star, our sun would be in the center of that little tiny dot, and the solar system is this yellow ball. At this scale, the nearest star would be at the McDonald's out on Highway 99. Solar system, vast and empty as we just described it. Nearest star at McDonald's. There would be other stars and solar systems scattered about and on this model our Milky Way galaxy would be like that, and it would extend from here to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Is your mind boggling yet? So, let's take that whole galaxy now from here to Minneapolis, Minnesota. <laughs> and scrunch, scrunch that down into a disk. The galaxy is in the shape of a, of a disk. It's kind of flat in a way. Let's scrunch that whole galaxy from Minneapolis down into the size of this disk. And there are other galaxies, of course. On this scale, the nearest galaxy would be at the back wall. The universe contains over 100,000 million such galaxies, each one of them inconceivably vast, of course, and they would be scattered about like that, from here to the back wall, and et cetera, et cetera, all the way from here to Salem. Now let's take the whole thing and turn it around and get small. Now you know that your body is made up of a great many microscopic cells. And you may know that your body plays host to a great many bacteria as well. An estimated 40 trillion of cells and of bacteria. Well, 40 trillion, it's a number. How much is that? Well, suppose we blow up a bacterium to the size of a half-inch marble. Okay, so marble is a bacterium. I guess this room would be about 50 feet by 25 feet. It's maybe a little bit smaller than that, and I said it would be about 10 feet high, and it's maybe a tiny bit taller than that, so with the, the peak, so I think it's about right. 
So on that scale, there would be about 175 million of these marbles to fill this room. Picture that. This room full of marbles. How does that compare to the number of bacteria inside your body? Well, picture a room full of marbles like this one and line them up end to end from here to Seattle. That's how many cells you have in your body and how many bacteria are living inside you as well. Approximately. Not chaotically, like a pile of sand, but intricately coordinated to carry on this mysterious dance of life. You are a galaxy unto yourself. You think of yourself as one thing and in a way kind of, in a way, simple. You are the product of an absolutely staggering, gigantic, intelligent mystery just in your body. So drilling deeper, let's look into one of those bacteria. Bacterium is itself astonishingly, astonishingly complex. Skipping several levels of organization, let's wonder how many atoms do you suppose are in a bacterium? So let's enlarge one of these bacterium that we've already blown up enormously to the size of a marble, let's blow it up to the size of your body. A bacterium the size of your body. An atom then would be the size of a grain of salt. If you put one in your hand, you couldn't even see it. But if you put it on a black sheet of paper and look very carefully, you could just see. That's an atom if a bacteria was the size of you. And what about the atom? <laughs> so let's take that, that inconceivably minute atom that we just described and blow it up to the size of this room. The nucleus, the part that has any substance to it, would be, again, the size of a grain of salt in the center of the room. Just, just barely visible at this size. And the rest of it would be the electron field, uh, which is charged space. <laughs> so to recap, we have the enormity of the Earth compared to the tiny portion of it that we do experience directly. We have the vast space between the planets in the solar system. We have the vast space between the galaxies. In our bodies we have an ocean of cells and bacteria. Inside the bacterium, a sea of atoms 
and inside the atoms, almost entirely <coughs> empty space. <laughs> so what we've just, uh, what I've just used words to spin is not infinity technically, right? It's just, and yet my experience in contemplating it is something like virtual infinity. I hope it is for you to some extent that my mind goes, oh, right? I know that some people, when they contemplate the vastness of the universe, uh, makes them feel really small. I hear that all the time. Oh, I feel so small. You know, and look at the pictures of the galaxies and stuff like that. My own feeling is the opposite. I contemplate our stupendous universe, and today we're just talking about scale of size, not even the other amazing dimensions of mystery. I contemplate our stupendous mystery, and I feel that we truly are the expression of a transcending mystery. We are children of the infinite. It humbles by putting the dramas of our lives into perspective, but it exalts by showing that we are part of an experiential infinity. We don't need to control it. We don't even need to understand it. But maybe it helps to experience it once in a while. We truly are part of an awesome mystery still unfolding. And I'll close with the words of William Blake. To see the world in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. So let's take a moment to let that sink in. <coughs> to dwell in the depth of your own mind without the intrusion of any more words. 